Well, what a thrill it is to be with you today at your EQUIP conference for this launch session. Hey, on behalf of Doug Clay, our general superintendent, and all of our executive leaders in Springfield, Missouri, we bring you greetings. We say, boy, thank you for doing such a good job at holding steady during the most difficult year that we've ever faced in, the, in our lifetime, right? It's been so good to just watch everybody uh, do so well. Doug Clay has a vision to see a healthy church in every community. And you might think, well, how are we defining healthy? Who determines what is healthy? Well, there are three elements that we attach to define healthy. A healthy church is one that is biblically engaged, spirit-empowered, and missions active. And I want to say, you pastor a church like that, you lead a ministry like that, you're a part of a network like that here at the, at the Minnesota Ministry Network, the Minnesota District Council. And so would you just give yourself a hand for hanging in there and leading a healthy church? Amen. Well, um, just a little bit about um, me. I was born and raised in Youngstown, Ohio, born again at the age of 15. Filled with the spirit a little bit after that. And then I went to work in a law office for seven years as a paralegal. In that law office, we uh, chartered uh, churches. We did constitution and bylaws. And, and I thought, Lord, have you forgotten that you've called me? But he was preparing me for what I do right now. And I just want to encourage somebody in the house today that God will not waste anything. And you might be at a place right now where you're thinking, what in the world am I doing? What is this season about? But I want to tell you that God will use every season of your life for his glory and honor and to build one upon another. So don't lose hope. Hang in there and stay steady. Um, after uh, working in a law office for a while, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Then I went to Cleveland, Ohio, where I was an associate pastor for seven years. And then I planted a church, Rockside Church, and pastored there for 15 years. I've been in Springfield, Missouri for three years as the uh, general secretary, and that's a little bit of my story. Like Jesus, I have never been married, and I have seven nieces and nephews, and they have 11 children, and I love spoiling them to death. So that's a little bit about me, and I like to play pickleball and ride bicycle. So. I uh, wanted you to know who's talking to you today. Just wanted to share a little bit with you. When I was thinking about uh, coming to Minneapolis, I asked the Lord, Lord, what could I share uh, in Minneapolis? What can I share with the people of Minnesota? And there was a question I asked the Lord when I was pastoring. So many options are before a pastor and so many things that you think, should I do this or try that or give my attention to this or that? And I remember I was praying in the sanctuary one Sunday and I asked the Lord, God, give me clear direction. What would you have me focus on? And in that moment, I felt like the Lord said, Donna, if you will teach people how to talk to me and hear from me, pray, and reproduce that again and again in other people, I'll take care of everything else. Because if people are talking to me, they're going to know their will for, for their life. They're going to be discipled. They're going to see signs and wonders and miracles happen. And would you just teach people how to talk to God and hear from God? And so much of my ministry pastorally was prayer meetings, the National Day of Prayer, 
leading prayer meetings for city council, driving to the capital city, and I had the opportunity, the privilege of opening um, our House of Representatives in prayer one day and uh, praying with Roman Catholic people in our city and uh, teaching, teaching people about prayer. And so much of my ministry was just simply talking to God and hearing from God and then helping other people to do the same. And if you will be that kind of a conduit for people, God will use you in a, a tremendous way. And then that way, if a person gets transferred to Afghanistan or they move to Alaska or you never see them again or they come to youth group on a Wednesday night only one time and you never connect, if you're connecting them with God, they will take that connection with them wherever they go. So when I was thinking about coming to be with you, I thought, wow, what a day for us to be praying for our cities. I just came from uh, Portland, Oregon, and so much is happening in that city. Your city has been in the news. I've been watching and just praying for you. And uh, I felt like the Lord said, help them know how to pray for their city and deposit that with them. This is my second time in Minneapolis. The first time I came was last June, and the executive leadership team flew out to Minneapolis just to pray with ministers. And we weren't here for uh, a photo shoot or a media blitz or coming to an event. We really did come just to pray with ministers. And I know some of you drove up to four hours to be with us that day. We prayed for two hours and then went back to Springfield, Missouri. And you might say, is prayer really that important to the executive leadership team? Yes. And you're important to us as well. It was important to us that we encouraged you, that we spoke life into the situation, that you knew you were not standing alone as a city in the United States, but we were standing with you as well. And it was that important to us that we wanted to come and be with the ministers of Minnesota and pray together with you. It's that important. And so this afternoon, I wanna unpack a prayer in the Bible with you of Daniel. Daniel prayed for his city in a very difficult time as well too, and there are some things from that that we can learn together that I think might be helpful to you. Daniel was famous for a lot of things. There's Daniel in the lion's den, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you go into the grocery store, you might even find bread with Daniel fast on the outside of it. He's famous in our grocery stores as well. Daniel was an incredible leader. Daniel showed us that may we never serve a person, uh, may we never see a person of prayer as only praying and taking no action. So he prayed three times a day and he took action. He was a man of walking out his faith. And may we also never become so caught up in all that God is helping us to do that we forget to pray or we neglect to pray. But Daniel was both. And I want you to be encouraged that it was only 10 days into Daniel's fast when other people started to notice a change. It was Daniel who said, I'm not going to eat the king's food. I'm going to have a special fast. 10 days into that, there was a noticeable change. And when we are training, not just trying to do better, but we're training, we will see a change in our life as well. Daniel made a decision. He was a, a man of discipline. And 10 days later, onlookers were noticing there was a difference in his countenance because of the decisions he was making. And you know, many times in prayer we think, well, I'll try to pray more. Or we might think, 
I probably should pray more, or that talk that I heard this afternoon motivated me, I should pray more. But you know, prayer takes training. We have to make decisions. We schedule it. We set our alarm clock and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray in the Spirit for the next 15 minutes, or I'm going to be a part of a prayer group that meets on Tuesday mornings at 10. And when we are intentional about our prayer life, when we are determined to train in such a way, then we too will see that kind of change like Daniel saw when he made a decision about his diet. I have a nephew, he's uh, just got married last year during, in the middle of the COVID, but when John was six years old, he came to stay with Aunt Donna for a couple weeks in the summer. We were in Walmart. We were in the pharmacy department and I was looking at the contact supply and I noticed out of the corner of my eye that John was sitting down in the blood pressure chair and he had put his arm into that sleeve and he pushed the button and he was watching the number go and then he reset it and he did that once, twice, three times, repeatedly. He kept pushing the blood pressure uh, test and seeing his arm get squeezed. So finally I went over to him and I said, John, what are you doing? He said, I'm practicing being seven, Aunt Donna. I said, <laughs> I said, what do you mean you're practicing being seven? He says, well, my mom will grab my arm like that, and she says, John William, do you want to live to be seven? <laughs> How do they come up with these things? He was practicing being seven. And I want to challenge us that we need to practice prayer. We need to train ourselves to do that. It can't just be a good intention. But if it truly is the most important work that a minister or Christian does, then we have to train ourselves to do that and be intentional to grow in our prayer lives. Daniel chapter 9, verse 18 says this, Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Like Daniel, when you pray, number one, use God's word, the Bible. Number two, know who you're talking to. Number three, fully embrace repentance. We're going to unpack those three principles out of Daniel's prayer, but for this purpose. I want you to feel very equipped to pray for your city. If you live in Minneapolis or another city, pray for your city and use the pattern that Daniel demonstrates for us in the Bible of how you pray for your city intentionally, with discipline, with practice, with a schedule. I love what our brother shared last night, Randall, about our, um, our ministry. He said, I wrote it down here. He said, I, Randall Ross, if the church knows Jesus, the world will change. Oh, isn't that good? If the church knows Jesus, the world will change. What if the church prayed more actively and then saw how that drizzled out into the community around us? I believe that God can make a difference because the church embraces prayer in a greater way than ever before. Now, Daniel, when he prayed, he used God's word, the Bible. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 says this, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, 
watch this, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Verse three, so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. Notice that Daniel prayed based on the word of God. I like to think of the Bible and prayer as two oars of a canoe. You need them both working in tandem together. Prayer, the word of God. If you have one without the other, you spin in a circle. But when both of them are working together, prayer and the word of God, we're praying biblical prayers and we're doing something with what we're reading. Have you ever been to a, a prayer meeting that was praying unbiblical prayers? It sounds like a Santa Claus list or sometimes just contradictory even to the Bible. But when we're reading the word of God and praying the word of God, we are moving in a straight direction spiritually with prayer and the word working hand in hand together. Watch how Daniel did that as well. Daniel used the word of God when he prayed and we want to do that as well. There's a book by R.L. Brandt called The Prayers of Paul, and he goes through the Pauline epistles. There are so many beautiful prayers in the Bible that we can actually use for prayers. There are examples of prayer throughout the Bible that we can use. One of my favorite models of prayer is to take a passage of scripture and tear it apart phrase by phrase and ask two questions. What does this make me, cause me to want to worship about my God, and what does this phrase cause me to want to pray into? And really, the Bible is a beautiful prayer book that we can use in tandem. So when you pray, as Daniel did, use God's word. Number two, as Daniel prayed, know who you're talking to. Now, as you heard, I, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I loved watching teenagers and their parents interacting. And every once in a while, you'll hear a mom or a dad say to a teenager, hey, come back here. Do you know who you're talking to? And I think of that phrase too when we're praying. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you realize who you get to talk to when we pray? We just finished a tour of General Treasures meetings and traveled around to different areas and talked to the people that are in charge of money at churches and ministries. And uh, my colleague, Choco De Jesus, who is our General Treasurer, would call people forward at the end of the day of this seminar and bring with them their budget, either in hard copy or on a device. And they would bring their budget forward and then we would lay hands on those budgets and pray for God to bless and help financially the ministry that they represented. And God did some incredible things. But you know, when we pray about finances, we're not talking to some clerk at a credit union that has two or $300 they can learn, loan to your church. No, no, no. We're talking to the God who says in Psalm chapter 50, verse 20, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. That's who you're talking to. Now, it doesn't say he owns a thousand cattle. It says that he owns a thousand hills, and all the hills are full of cattle. In other words, his supply is immeasurable. Whatever the vision of the house is, he has the provision to meet that financially, and that's the God we serve. Do you know who you're talking to when you're praying for something financial to break through? When you're praying for a healing, you have a friend with a disease, or you're praying for uh, cancer to be gone, 
you're not talking to a pharmacist across the counter who has a, a bottle of generic aspirin. Oh, no, no, you're praying to the healer of all. You're praying to the great physician. You're praying to the, the God who actually created your body in the first place and certainly can heal it again. That's who you're talking to. Do you know who you're talking to when you're praying for your city? Do you know who you're talking to when you're praying for a healing and a, a financial breakthrough? Do you know who you're talking to? When you need direction or an idea or clarity, you can pray to the Waymaker like we sang about last night or Light in the Darkness, the Creator of the Universe, the Omniscient, All-Knowing God. That's who you're talking to. When you're nervous and uptight, we have a mental health care committee with the Assemblies of God, and those folks are reporting a 100% increase in counselees coming, and the COVID virus and everything that's going on in our culture right now has just uh, really created an uptick in people feeling nervous and uh, just needing peace. But here's the advantage we have as believers. We have the privilege to go to the Prince of Peace and pray. When you pray, you're not talking to some author of a Hallmark card that has a cute little poem on the back of it. No, no, no. You're talking to the Prince of Peace. You're talking to the one who can calm the storm, not only a physical storm, but that storm that rages inside of you when things are uncertain. You are praying to the one who is able to calm the storm. That's who you're talking to. Daniel knew who he was talking to. Let's just look at a couple verses. In Daniel chapter nine, verse three, he says, so I turn to the Lord God. Boy, just mentioning that he is your Lord really establishes who he is and who you're talking to. Verse four said, I prayed to the Lord my God. And now he's making it personal. He's not just a God, he's my God and he lives inside of me. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. God keeps his promises, not in an obligatory way of just checking off his obligations, but out of love, out of love for you, he keeps his covenant. That's who you're talking to. Verse nine says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Verse seven, Lord, you are righteous. Verse 15, now Lord our God who brought your people out of Egypt, he is a deliverer. That is who we're talking to. That's who our God is. Like Daniel, friends, when you pray, use the word of God. When you pray, know who you're talking to. He's able to do incredible miracles. And when the church of Jesus Christ begins to call out to God and pray, and when we become all that God wants us to be, we are going to drizzle out into our community, our culture, our courtrooms, and we're going to make a difference to the people that are around us because that's who our God is, and that's who he has designed the church to be. Light in the middle of darkness, salt to this world. We can be a reflection of the glory of God. Like Daniel, when you pray, use God's word, know who you're talking to. Number three, fully embrace repentance. Now, once Daniel starts to pray, it's quoted in verses four through 19. As I read that prayer of Daniel, if I had to pick just one word to summarize what that prayer is about, the word would be this, repentance. Because he talks about repentance all throughout that prayer that he prays. And when you think about repentance, sometimes repentance 
That word gets a, a bad rap, especially if it's a preacher on the street corner raising a sign saying, repent, the end is near, and it kind of scares people. Or in the end zone of a football game, when you have one person who's painted his face, repent, and it's like, ah, oh, it's a little out of context, not sure what he means by it. Repent gets a bad rap sometimes. But I want to tell you, repentance is a beautiful word. It's what the church is all about. I mean, think about it. When you became born again, you prayed a sinner's prayer. You prayed a prayer of, Lord, forgive my sins, come into my heart, be my Savior and Lord. It was about sin and repentance. And then in the church, we practice water baptism, where we go down into a water grave and we are buried, and we come up again out of that water grave to live in fullness of life, an outward symbol of the inward expression of getting rid of our sins. And then we celebrate communion. Boy, we've missed having communion together during COVID, haven't we? I was in a communion service recently and I thought, wow, I think it's been a whole year since I was in a setting where we could have communion together. We're never gonna take it for granted again, are we? Fellowship and communion and being able to come and be in his presence and worship together. May our appreciation on this side of COVID skyrocket and never come back down again for all the things we get to enjoy as believers when we gather together. Communion is one of those things. We're remembering when we take communion. We're remembering what Jesus did on the cross. He died for our sins. You know, you can name a church, Sins Are Us, and that would be appropriate. Like Toys Are Us and Tacos Are Us, Sins Are Us. How would that be? Because that's a good name. It's, it's why the church exists, to help us process our sins. If you're in a discipleship class of some sort, we are um, trying to get freed up of sins we have done and sins done to us and walking in freedom again. Everything about the church is about us being able to walk in freedom and process our sins. I attend a church in Springfield, Missouri when I'm in town called Freedom City Church. And my pastor is a... Um, uh, recovering heroin addict and an ex-convict, and most of the congregation is in that category as well, too. It's a wonderful place, and people who attend there are so thankful for what God has done to free them of their sins and to set their feet on solid ground. It's a beautiful place. Every Sunday, people come to know the Lord because every Saturday, people go out knocking on doors and passing out tracts and letting people know Jesus is there to save them. And so it's a, it's a beautiful place and it's a place where we are reminded every time we gather that sins are us and repentance is why Jesus died on the cross. Now, when, when Daniel was praying this prayer of repentance, he was praying a prayer of both personal forgiveness and collective forgiveness. But really, he was a follower of God, a very disciplined person. Daniel prayed three times a day. Uh, Daniel was not committing sins on a regular basis, but yet when you dive into his prayer, and we're gonna do that in a minute, he's praying prayers of repentance on behalf of himself and his people, other people that are with him. Daniel was a, a follower of God. In fact, Daniel personally was a committed follower, so much so that even his haters could find no fault in him. Let me show you. Daniel chapter six, verse four. New Living Translation says this. 
Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Now that's what Daniel's haters said about him. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. He was well respected even by people who were not his fans. So why is he praying a prayer of repentance? Because he understood that his whole city needed the forgiveness of the Lord, that the people who were around him needed God to forgive their sins as well. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 7 through 11, this is Daniel's prayer that I'm going to read, and I would just encourage you to notice how much he talks about we and us, not just himself. Let's look together. Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 7, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws as he gave us through his servants and prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Notice that prayer. It was not just a me prayer, but it was a we prayer. He was praying on behalf of the other people that were with him as well. When you notice something offends God, even if you didn't do it personally, instead of becoming disillusioned or posturing yourself on the other side of an aisle, why not pray a we prayer of repentance? Father, forgive us, our nation. Forgive us, our nation, of abortion. And forgive us for neglecting to support pregnancy centers and helping single moms and participating in the foster care system. Forgive us our sins. You know, you can pray that kind of a we prayer if you want to. Daniel did, Nehemiah did, Paul affiliated with other people who had sinned, and even Jesus did as well. You wonder, is that a biblical way to pray? Well, Jesus said, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, when you pray, pray this way, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's a lot of we and us verbiage in that prayer that Jesus even suggested to his disciples of, here's how you pray when you pray. Praying we prayers. Romans chapter nine, verse three, for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to forever be cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. Those are the words of the apostle Paul. Think about the tension in our culture today. How could that shift if Christians in your city and mine, if all Christians began to pray prayers of repentance, not just on behalf of our own offenses, but others as well too? Might it shift the hearts 
of other people and change the culture around us. Now, God wants us to pray prayers of repentance, not only vertically between us and him, but he wants us to forgive horizontally one another as well, too. He wants us to forgive each other's sins as well. You know, I don't know of a time in culture more than now when it has been more trendy to be offended. <laughs> Can you? We wear our feelings right here on our sleeve, and we're ready to be offended at the drop of a hat. When I was an associate pastor at uh, Bethel Temple, Bob Shu was an 82-year-old board member, and um, he had been a leader in that church for a long time. He had seen a lot of things, good and bad, happen over the years, and Bob would often come into the office to sign checks, and he was um, the treasurer at the time. And when he would come in, he would sit down in my office and visit for a few minutes. I remember this one day he was visiting, and Bob impressed me tremendously because even though he was 82 years old, he loved to hang out with teenagers. And on Wednesday night, he'd come in the back of the youth room and worship the Lord in the back. When we would go out to Baker Square for pie, Bob would be right in the middle of any group of people. They didn't have to be his age demographic. And he was interested in others, and people wanted Bob to be with them. Everybody loved Bob's shoe. S-H-U-H, shoe. Like what you wear on your feet. And I said to Bob, I said, Bob, I've watched you for several years now, and you have such an excellent spirit about everything. What's your secret? And I don't know if he'd ever said it out loud until he said it to me, but he thought for a minute, and then he said, you know, Donna, I made a decision a long time ago that I would refuse to be offended, and that has really helped me. Friends, could you imagine what could happen in the church of Jesus Christ today, both inside and outside the church, if every Christian would adopt that philosophy that I refuse to be offended. Wow, how much better life would be, wouldn't it? And how much better we would be able to reflect the glory of Christ to an onlooking world who is looking for people to be loving and kind and unoffendable. May God help us to do that. And so we interact with one another and we interact with God around this thought of repentance that Daniel prays about. And one of the reasons repentance gets clogged between human beings is because we don't know how to apologize properly. We don't know how to extend an apology that really is biblical and full of rich content. Many people have never experienced the freedom of repentance because they've not been apologized to or, or had the opportunity to apologize to someone else. Instead, they say things like, I'm sorry if I hurt you, or maybe I was wrong, or why don't we just forget the past and move on? Can't we just move on? Or I know I shouldn't have yelled at you, but you made me so mad. Now, none of those are apologies, let me just tell you. Those are excuses, those are dances around, and none of those are apologies. But if we could really apologize, then there would, could be forgiveness that is exchanged. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm gonna share with you just seven A's of a biblical confession and ask you to consider this because, friends, I believe that if the church of Jesus Christ would 
dig in in prayer in this day, and if we would repent on behalf of the people that are around us, and if we would be unoffendable and forgiving one to another, it would shift the culture of our nation right now, if just the church did that. Because when the church becomes the church, the, the, the culture gets to benefit from the goodness of the church. May the Lord help us. Seven A's of a biblical confession. Number one, address everyone involved. So if you do an offense in front of the whole staff, then apologize in front of the whole staff so that they all drop the offense and there's no secondhand offense. Number two, Avoid the word if, but, and maybe, because those are words that set us up to make an excuse instead of actually repent and ask forgiveness. Number three, admit specifically both your attitudes and actions. Number four, acknowledge the hurt that the other person has experienced. Number five, accept the consequences Maybe you'll have to make restitution or repair what you broke or realize that there are consequences for what you've done. Even though someone forgives you, that doesn't always wipe away the responsibility and the consequence. Number six, alter your behavior. Isn't it refreshing when someone apologizes and they say, because I'm gonna go to anger management, you can expect in the future for me to uh, behave differently. And you don't only get an apology, but you get hope that things won't occur like that again and that the future will be different because they are altering their behavior. Number seven, ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we ask for forgiveness and we skip the first six steps and people think, I'm not even sure you know what you did wrong, but okay, I forgive you. Well, that leaves it clogged in the relationship. And repentance is something Jesus died for. He wants us to enjoy from, from him and one another as well. These seven A's of a biblical confession come from Ken Sandy, who's the author of Relational Wisdom. And uh, I give him credit and this is so helpful and practical and powerful when we're talking about walking in forgiveness one for another. So what might a healthy apology sound like? Well, here's a sample of all seven of these elements all wrapped up in one apology and it, it might sound something like this. Hey, I joked at your expense at dinner last night in front of our friends. That was so wrong of me. And it wasn't the first time. My ego gets the best of me and I love the attention of the table. You know, I realized afterwards that my words hurt you. I feel so bad about that. I realize you're pulling away and it's all my fault. In the future, when we're in a group with others, you can expect me to manage my words so that I'm always showing you respect. I am really sorry. Will you please forgive me? Now, if you heard an apology like that, wouldn't you think, wow, I think she really means it. I think she really understands how I felt in that situation. And when we want repentance to flow, as Daniel was praying about, it's from the Lord and it's for one another and we're attentive to it and we're asking on a daily basis, Lord, search my heart, oh God, and see if there be any offensive or wicked way in me. Renew a right spirit within me. Bob Shu lived with a right spirit and he's now in heaven. And it was noticeable because he refused to be offended 
And he went before the Lord every day asking for forgiveness. Refuse to be offended. Repentance, my friend, is a gift. It's a real privilege to repent, one to another and to the Lord as well, too. And as we train for prayer, may we remember to use the Word of God. May we remember that when we're praying, we want to be able to confess our sins and use repentance very actively. We want to pray the kind of prayer that Daniel prayed when he prayed in Daniel chapter 9. Use God's word, know who you're talking to, fully embrace repentance. Now, because we talked about training, I wanna invite you and encourage you that for the next 10 days, would you pray the Daniel prayer from Daniel chapter nine? Remember we talked at the beginning that after 10 days of his Daniel fast, there was a noticeable difference. What if we prayed for 10 days the Daniel prayer in Daniel chapter nine to ask the Lord to forgive me and us on a regular basis? We can pray a prayer like is found in Daniel chapter nine, verse 20, when it says this, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. So your assignment, refuse to be offended, pray the Daniel prayer for 10 days in a row and see if there's not a difference. Would you stand together with me as we conclude in prayer? Worship team returns. Father, we thank you for the Bible that helps us pray. And we thank you for the privilege we have to be men and women of prayer. And Father, I pray for each attendee of this event at this very launch. Lord, if they don't remember anything at all when they go home, may they be challenged in their prayer life to talk to God and hear from God and help others to do the same. Because Lord, when the church of Jesus Christ rises up in prayer, as Daniel did, we see a difference, not only in our own personal lives, but in our city, not only for ourselves individually, but for the people for whom we pray. And so, oh God, we commit ourselves to be men and women of prayer, not just to try to pray more, but to train specifically and to be intentional in disciplines so that we are indeed men and women of prayer, as was Daniel, who prayed three times a day. Oh God, we pray that you would infuse something in us right now today that would cause us to be a church that prays for ourselves and for others as well to the glory of God. I'm gonna ask you just for 60 seconds, if you would just pray for the city of Minneapolis. And if you are from another city, just pray for your city. Would you just Raise your hands to the Lord and lift your voice and pray out loud. And as Daniel did, can we just spend 60 seconds praying for our city right now? Let's do that together. Everyone in the house, let's just talk to the Lord on behalf of our city, on behalf of others. Jesus, God, we call on you and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. And we thank you for the example of Daniel and so many others in the Bible who prayed for their city and they were men and women of change, not just for themselves or inside the, the community of Christ follow, God followers, but for their community of lost people. And so, Lord, we pray for Minneapolis. 
We pray, oh Lord, that you would open heaven over this city, every part of it. Lord, we pray that we would not compartmentalize ourselves away and say, well, that just happens in one neighborhood, but we would love and care for every part of the city. We pray, Lord, for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up in such a, a strong way, Lord, that curious onlookers will see our God and know that you are real and know that you are there to forgive us of our sins. Lord, we pray you would help each one of us as we process our own failures and inadequacies and repentance, that we would pray for repentance for those around us as well too, oh God. We call on your name. We give you glory and honor. Father, we want to make a difference. We want to be a reflection of your glory. We thank you, Lord, for the churches in this district that are a light and salt to their community, and they are making a difference. Lord, ramp it up for us, we pray. Help us, oh God, to reflect your glory in such a powerful way. Raise up Daniels in this room, Lord, and, and Daniels and, and Nehemiahs and people that are, are prayerful for their city. God, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, and help each one of us to be men and women of forgiveness and repentance to the glory of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. <laughs> 